and welcome to Something Shakespeare This Way Comes, a podcast made by a nerd who is just trying their best. Today is a special episode of the podcast because it makes my first bonus episode. Next week, I'm going to talk about Shakespeare biography and some of the weirdness and difficulty surrounding that biography. And it occurred to me after I wrote this script for the episode next week that wrestles with some of those difficulties of those records of Shakespeare's life and just records of the time in general, that some people might listen to that episode but not actually know all of the details of William Shakespeare's life. I don't want to cover every single detail of Shakespeare's life today, but I do want to walk you through a brief biography in today's episode that touches on important dates, relevant facts, just to give you a little bit of context for the more complicated discussion that is going to be happening next week and any discussions moving forward concerning his biography. Before I get started, um, I'm going to touch a little more on this next week, but I would like to clarify up front that for this episode, I am recounting the relevant details of William Shakespeare's life and assuming he is the one who wrote his plays. This is a whole can of worms that I'm going to address eventually, but I am simply not up for it at this time. I want to give this guy the benefit of the doubt and assume that he could have, in fact, been born in Stratford-upon-Avon, made his way to London and written his plays. So with that, let's get started with the life of William Shakespeare. William Shakespeare was born in April 1564 in Stratford-upon-Avon. His father, John Shakespeare, enjoyed a fairly prominent position in Stratford. He was an alderman and he served on the town council and he would continue to serve on that council for a number of years. At some point, I believe John Shakespeare was also ale taster for the town, which was apparently a pretty well-respected position. We know that the Shakespeare family must have been at least decently well-off, both due to his father's position in town, but also because at one point John Shakespeare applied for an official coat of arms. This would have raised his family's status somewhat in the world. He would have been able to claim the title of gentleman, and then his whole family would have been risen up by association. So he must have at least had a case to make for himself in addition to the money to buy one. But at some point, due to something that we don't really know what it is, there's some evidence that suggests he might have been selling wool on the side illegally. But something happened. John fell from favor. He basically went bankrupt. He kind of started hiding out in his house, withdrew his position for a coat of arms, and his family no longer enjoyed that standing that they did when William was first born. I also want to note really quickly that his mother, Mary, her family name was Arden. So Mary Arden. She was related to the prominent Arden family in England at the time who enjoyed name recognition and wealth. Mary's particular branch of the family wasn't the most wealthy or prominent, but they were related related closely enough that her family did have some land and some money and her marriage to John Shakespeare did come with lands as part of her dowry and that name status would have lent itself at least a little bit of something to the family. The date of Shakespeare's birth is traditionally listed as April 23rd but we don't actually know his birthday. On the records in town we can see that he was baptized on April 26th so we know that he had to have been born a couple days before that. 
And April 23rd is kind of an auspicious day. It's it's St. George's Day. And then also Shakespeare died on April 23rd, 52 years later. So I think people just really want to believe that it's April 23rd because it just makes a really nice story. On or around April 23rd, I think is fair enough to say. Sometime before April 26th, 1564. He was one of eight children and he was the oldest surviving son. So he had a couple of younger brothers and then I think he had an older sister and some other sisters. And we don't know that much about them either, but I will say I think he only had one sibling who outlived him. We assume that Shakespeare attended the grammar school located in Stratford as a kid we do not have records for it um, because the school records at the time for all of those years are just gone now. So we can't see who went to school there at all for sure in those years. But it's a pretty good guess because if he was reading and writing at some point later in his life, then he would have had to learn how to read and write at some point. Grammar schools at the time were kind of... I think one of the things that's difficult is you kind of think of it as elementary school, but it's not really the same as elementary school today. Kids, and I should actually say boys because girls were not allowed to attend, boys were given pretty rigorous rote training. They had to memorize a bunch of stuff. They had to learn how to read and write Latin and Greek. They just had to do all sorts of terrible things and be in school for really long periods of time. And if you fidgeted and didn't pay attention, your teachers would hit you. So school is not great, but we're assuming he went to school, that he learned some of the Latin and Greek there. He would have also been introduced to some Roman and Greek plays. And we can actually see one of his earliest plays, A Comedy of Errors, is based on a Roman play. So I think that's a pretty easy leap to make that he probably had to read it for school and then it was one of the first things he adapted. So from the time he's born, again, some siblings. We guess that he goes to school. We can't say for sure. We kind of get our next record in November 1982 when he was granted a marriage license to Anne Hathaway. Anne might have gone by Agnes which, as far as I can tell from what I've read, Agnes would have been pronounced kind of without the G or a soft G at the time, so more pronounced Annus. Her father referenced her as Agnes in his will, but in the marriage license record, she's listed as Anne, so whatever you want to do. I, <laughs> regardless, I'm just continually amazed that Anne Hathaway appeared in the 1500s. I just... It's, pretty wild coincidence to have a famous Anne Hathaway 500 years later. At the time of his marriage, William was 18 and Anne was 26. And six months after they got married, their first daughter, Susanna, was born. So we know that there was at least a little bit of haste in the marriage since Anne was already pregnant. Interestingly enough, too, that age difference is pretty unusual for the time. If there was going to be an age difference typically the groom would have been older. So I would really love to know the story behind that. So Susanna was born in 1583. And then just a couple years later in 1585, Anne gave birth to twins named Judith and Hamnet. I've wondered before how Shakespeare ended up with a daughter named Judith and a son named Hamnet, just because to the modern ear, one of those names seems really ordinary and one seems 
pretty wild. And just kind of a fun addendum, the Shakespeare's lived near a married couple who were actually named Judith and Hamnet. So the guess is that the twins were probably named after these neighbors. And I think this is just such a fun little detail, you know, tells you where Hamnet came from. Maybe the name's not as unusual as it seems. And also it just kind of opens up this nice window. I, I wonder what the relationship with the older Judith and Hamnet was like. Sometime after the twins were born, sometime between 1585 and the early 1590s, Shakespeare made his way to London. We do not know exactly when that was. We do not know exactly why that was. Some people have guessed that he went there um, on official business for his father, for the expanding their Glover business. He maybe took up with a group of traveling players passing through town. There's like rumor that's been perpetuated by a couple of different people, um, you know, 100 years after his death or whatever, that he poached some deer on a local nobleman's lands and then basically had to flee town. But really, we just simply do not know. We just know he left Stratford for some reason. He went to London for some reason. And when he made it to London, he started to act. And at some point, he started to write plays. I don't want to get into (laughs) all of the complications that come with trying to order and date Shakespeare's plays. Some people think he wrote the Henry VI plays first. Some people think he wrote a comedy of errors first. We just don't really know what we have in the record. Our letters people wrote to each other or journal entries, things like that, that reference the plays. And then based on when those things are dated, we know that the plays had to kind of happen around those times. What we kind of consider the first piece on record referencing Shakespeare came in 1592. There was a snide reference to Henry VI. So Henry VI must have been written before this reference was written. And it also seems to reference Shakespeare himself. So Best guess, Shakespeare was in London sometime before 1592. That's what we got. He soon joined the Lord Chamberlain's Men, which was an acting troupe, and he became an investor in that group. So various players invested into the group, put money into it, and then if they made money, then the investors made money. Kind of, you know, similar to today. And we know that that was a good investment because he started making enough money to be able to buy property in Stratford-upon-Avon and he was able to send money back home. So they were doing pretty well for themselves. And we can see uh, in this period, his name is popping up on cast lists. Quartos of his plays and some of his long-form poems start popping up in the mid-1590s to the late uh, 1590s. So we see that happening. The name recognition seems to be growing. The money starts coming back home. Those things kind of seem to match. A couple little details I kind of like that give, I think, a little more life to this period of time is uh, the first one is in 1596, that uh, coat of arms request. If you remember at the beginning, I said that John Shakespeare had filed a request for a family coat of arms, and then he had to withdraw it. In 1596, that original request he had made was granted. Best guess is William, the son who is making the money and had the means to do it, 
was the one who basically restarted the petition. Don't know 100%, but that seems to really be what it was. Once this coat of arms was granted, that allowed John to call himself a gentleman, and then William was also able to adopt that title, and then again, bestowed upon their families. So Shakespeare was basically, you know, whether he was doing a solid for his dad, he was probably also doing it for himself. Playwrights and actors did not really have much standing and were not considered well-respected people at the time. So having that title of gentleman would have been helpful for his family um, in addition to that money that he was sending home to kind of raise in status. The year after the coat of arms in 1597, Shakespeare bought a house. So before that, he and his family had likely been living with his parents. In 1597, he bought New Place. And this is, uh, at the time, was the second largest house in Stratford. So he was at least well off enough to buy the second largest house in town. (laughs) I just wanted to give a really quick little detail in addition. New Place does not exist anymore. And that's not terribly surprising. A lot of structures from, you know, 400 years are not around anymore. But the reason that New Place is not around anymore is because a couple hundred years after Shakespeare's death, after the house was no longer in control of his family anymore, a new guy named Francis Gastrell owned it. And people kept coming by to see where Shakespeare had lived. And Gastrell got really annoyed because he was really tired of having visitors. And so kind of in retaliation, there was a a tree planted in the front yard that had allegedly been planted by Shakespeare himself. Gastrell went and (laughs) tore down this tree. The people of Stratford got so mad at him that they broke all the windows in his house. And then it kind of started this feud between him and the town. And he ultimately demolished the house in 1759. So the house does not exist anymore, not because of, you know, an earthquake or some something neglect, something you would expect. It was because some guy was basically pissed that he had too many uh, unwelcome visitors come to his house, which is just such a funny detail. Also such a great reminder that what we have of history is so subject to the weirdest things possible. Okay, so in addition to Shakespeare acquiring coat of arms, a new house, continuing to write plays, uh, in 1599, the Lord Chamberlain's men built their own theater called the Globe. And this is kind of the playhouse that everyone's very familiar with. There's a reconstruction of the Globe in the modern day that you can go visit. And there is, there's a really fun story about how the globe was built from another deconstructed playhouse that was ferried across the Thames in the middle of the night. But we'll talk about that another time. So they have their own theater now. Uh, A few years after the globe was built in 1603, Queen Elizabeth died. James I became King of England and Lord, the Lord Chamberlain's men became the King's men. So they're now officially patronized by the King, which is pretty cool. After that point, continues to write plays. The early 1600s is really when Shakespeare wrote most of his most famous plays. So that, those are the years when Hamlet, Othello, Macbeth, King Lear were written, and then some of the really famous comedies, including Twelfth Night and As You Like It. This is also around the time where... His son, Hamnet, died at the age of 11. We don't know how he died, but I mean, unfortunately, as we've all heard, children 
died pretty often back then, so probably some kind of illness. Uh, In the later years of his life, there is some evidence on record that he wasn't spending as much time in London anymore, probably going back to Stratford to check up on the stuff that he'd, the land that he'd bought, but he hadn't abandoned London entirely. As I discussed in the episode on The Tempest, The Tempest was his last solo play, which he wrote around 1611, but after the fact, there are several more plays, including Henry VIII, for example, that he wrote as collaborations. So this kind of indicates that maybe he had one foot in, one foot out. In 1613, he did buy some property in Blackfriars, you know, near a theater there. So it does seem like he's not planning to go off to Stratford for good, but he's maybe also, I mean, He's in his 50s at this point, so maybe he just wants a little to relax a little more. Before his death, there is a little juicy drama about the marriage of his daughter, Judith, um, which I will cover (laughs) at some later point. But he did write a new version of his will about a month before he died. And in this will, he basically wrote out Judith and her husband because her husband was a bit of a cur, we will say, and left most of his stuff to his daughter, Susanna, and her husband. And then he died on April 23rd, 1616, at the age of 52. In his will, he very famously did not mention his wife at all, except in one little portion where he said that he wanted to leave her their second best bed. And some people have kind of tried to cover this up by saying, well, as widow, she would have been guaranteed a third of the estate anyway, so he didn't really need to clarify he was leaving anything else to her. But it <laughs> it still does seem a little rude, doesn't it? After his death, he was buried in the chancel of Holy Trinity Church in Stratford-upon-Avon. And then sometime after his death, but before 1623, so in those seven years following his death, at some point... They built a funerary monument for Shakespeare. So that includes a bust of him, a little poem about him, uh, including including this kind of goofy little poem about don't move his bones. Seven years after he died in 1623, this is when the first folio was published. So his friends, John Hemmings and Henry Condell, who'd been in the Lord Chamberlain's men and the King's men with him, They managed to get the first folio printed, and the first folio contained 36 of Shakespeare's plays, including 18 plays that had not been previously printed in some other format. So one of the reasons the first folio is so famous is basically half of Shakespeare's works could have been completely lost to history if they hadn't gone out of their way to publish this book. And just as a side note, the reason we know that his funerary monument was built before the first folio is because the first folio references the monument in Stratford. So again, as with a lot of history at the time, not just Shakespeare's life, we kind of date things by references to other things. (laughs) A very fun game that historians play And I think probably takes a really specific type of person to think is fun. So that is kind of Shakespeare's life in a nutshell. Uh, Next week, I'm going to dive into some of the details and context surrounding his life and just kind of record keeping and Elizabethan Jacobean history in general. But hopefully just getting that brief rundown gives you a little better idea of what we know about him 
and what we don't know about him. And that will help you understand what I'm kind of on about (laughs) in the next week's episode. So thank you so much for listening to my first bonus episode. If you want to find something Shakespeare This Way comes on the internet, you can find us on my website at somethingshakespeare.com or you can find me on Instagram at somethingshakespearepod. I want to give thanks to Haley Branson for designing my lovely podcast art, which is so fantastic. You can also find her on Instagram at hbranana. And I want to give thanks to Joe's DVG for recording the theme music. Uh, He recorded an excerpt of John Dowland's Midnight on the Lute. So with that, I will see you next week. When next week exactly? Maybe sometime in the wind or rain. Maybe when the battle's lost or won. But regardless of the weather and the status of the battle, we know it'll be squarely in the middle of the hurly-burly. Because as we all know, the hurly-burly's never done. Thanks, everyone. (laughs) 